Steve Day, with all due respect, Steph Curry is the worst player to ever play the game of basketball. I mean, sure, he scored 32 last game, but my man Luca got a 40-piece, and then he pulled down eight biscuits and threw in some extra sauces, okay? Your man Steph is too short. The boy needs a ladder to comb his own hair. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. I don't think I've seen anyone do a Kendrick Perkins impression before. Keenan Thompson, SNL. That was pretty solid. I think the, the look really made it. The video does more justice than the sound because uh, the K-Perk look is pretty unique. I would say so. Is he okay at ESPN? I saw, like, weird rumors that he might be pushed out. I think it was a fake report. Like, That's what I think, yeah. too. And then it took off for three days, and I never looked it up, and... And then there was no follow-up. I'm like, I guess this was just people joking around. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. It, it came. It also stems from you know his weird stat that he threw out there, that I think 80 percent of MVP oh, yeah. voters were white, and you know went off from there. They had to issue a correction. So I think maybe the fake accounts were kind of jumping on that to try to get some traction. From what I understand, he's still there. So we're tracking the Sweet 16 here, the Friday portion of it, at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Mountain West team, San Diego State. Woo, this one's rough. Rock fight so far. It's 13s with seven and a half minutes left in the first half against top-seeded Alabama. Miami and the Houston Cougars are going at it in about 15 minutes. Uh, Cougars are seven and a half point favorites in that one. We spent the first hour talking a lot about the West Regional last night here with that Gonzaga-UCLA game, which was completely crazy. Uh, Nevada-born guy in Julian Strother made the big three. The place was jammed with Bruins and Zags fans. Loud, loud, loud. I wasn't over there in time for the first game. UConn and Arkansas, because I was still doing the show. It was a blowout. What was the vibe like? We were vibe? there. What vibe? Nothing. It was, it was weird. It was a lot of Arkansas fans, and they went down pretty early. So, like, the, the energy got muted. I don't, like, there was, like, nothing in terms of UConn showing up for fans. It was really weird. Like, the, uh, the seats behind the benches for the TV shot were pretty empty, so it didn't really look great. There was clearly the UConn side. So, I don't know if they had trouble selling tickets. I don't, I don't know if they didn't want to come out here or whatever it was. But um, I would assume... That's going to be a very pro Gonzaga crowd on Saturday, given what we saw on yeah, given what we saw yesterday. I, there are not going to be many UConn fans. What do you do as a, a better? What do you do as a bookmaker? I mean, calling it a home game is kind of absurd. It's you know whatever it is, fifteen hundred miles away from Spokane. But if they've got seven thousand in the building, that's a pretty good environment. You shade it like one, maybe, like give them a point. Perhaps because they've you're used to coming out here and they have a fan base that's traveled. I don't think you go doing any more than that if you do it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Four at four. Number four. All right, so we have a ridiculous take in hour number one from Jay Williams, who was actually suggesting the ESPN personality and former Duke player that the Lakers better be careful bringing back. LeBron James anytime soon because this is now Austin Reeves' team. Okay. <laughs> Flip side of it is the aforementioned Kendrick Perkins, who is very high on the return of LeBron. I had the Clippers, but with Paul George going out, 
I'm, I'm a little suspect. I'm a little suspect about it. But a healthy LeBron with an Anthony Davis, the way that he's playing right now, and what Rob Palenka did at the trade deadline with finally adding pieces around him, around those two, that actually fit. When I look at the Lakers and how inconsistent the West has been, yes, they could make a run. Yes, they could make it to the NBA Finals if LeBron and AD is healthy. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I you know, here's the thing. Like, because he's right about the Western Conference. The Western Conference stinks. It's not been very good. And I actually wrote an article today kind of about it um, because there's been a, a, a long-shot dark horse that's garnered some action around town. You look at every team in the Western Conference, there's a major flaw to point at for every single one of them. So I think he's right in thinking that. But the Lakers are also a team that is not perfect and I think has their own flaws. So theoretically, can it happen? Sure. But am I banking on it to happen? I mean, they got to get in the play-in first, and they got a big game tonight against the Oklahoma City Thunder. How much did it hurt to hear uh, Perkins say he had the Clippers? I mean, I guess here's the thing. Paul George, it sounds like he's going to be back at the start of the postseason, so that's always a good thing. You don't know how effective he'll be, but at least he'll be back, it seems. And I'd also, I'd also say, I don't know if you've really been seeing like Kawhi Leonard over the last 25, 30 games. He's been incredible. He's back at like that 50, 40, 90 pace as a player. He was nuts last night. He, had, he started 7 for 7 in the first quarter against the Thunder, led the Clippers to a blowout win. Kawhi Leonard's been on another level with the way that he's been playing. He's finally healthy. He's comfortable in his body, it seems. Like, there's still a team, I think, to be reckoned with, especially if Paul George is going to come back. Number three. Talked a lot of baseball the last couple days, all different topics, WBC, also the A's to Vegas. Uh, Sam Gordon at the RJ wrote a story basically countering what the paper's been going with, with A's to Vegas, A's to Vegas, A's to Vegas, and you know, kind of built the case, hey, they belong in Oakland. Uh, Candy's not a believer that they're coming. I'm not really a believer. I know you're not a believer. Adam Hill's definitely not a believer. And, you know, one of our big worries here, you know, we just mentioned the first game of the Sweet 16, right, with UConn at Arkansas. I don't know how many locals were at the game, right, because that one seemed li- more lightly attended. Um, you got to really provide some value and winning, and it's got to be a big-time event for Vegas fans to go down to the strip. That's just a reality, and we've seen that more and more. And I've made the case the entire time, if the A's come here and they're you know, barely operating above where they are right now from a money standpoint – no one here will be interested after about three years. They will not tolerate losing in Las Vegas and in the state of Nevada. And, man, a number came out. Yeah, I know Major League Baseball freaking hates this when Forbes gets the numbers. Yep. The A's cry poor all the time. And Forbes for 2022 put out the top five most profitable teams. It means after all the expenses, this is what they make. The A's are making the fifth most amount of money. Yep. And, by the way, Baltimore is in that group too, and they don't try. This is everything that's wrong with baseball. And to the A's owners, I, I don't know. Because our case yesterday was, you know what? Here's how you prove to us in Vegas. If you want to move here and there's a little bit of whatever, tax breaks and this and that, and you want to get fans out, you have immediately got to change the mindset of the fans who don't believe that you're a winning franchise and you're not going to try. Sign Otani. Yeah. push At least push offer them 10 years, $490 million. Make the Dodgers pay $500 million. Whatever it is, but they're not going to do that. They're not going to do anything close to that. It's why I hate listening to some people talk about, you know, I know that um, David Sampson, who who now works for Metal Arc Media and Levitard and all of them, 
who's a you know, former Miami uh, Marlins front office and executive, um, was the stepson of the former owner of the team. You know, he, he cries all the time about, like, these teams barely getting by and, you know, operating at a loss. And it's like you look at these teams that are barely spending any money on their payroll and how much money they're making. It's ridiculous. And expecting you, like the fan, to go out there and pay money for these tickets to watch a product that they're not putting any effort into. And you look at the teams with the top five losses in terms of money they have lost. Who's the number one team? The New York Mets. And they're trying. They're putting money into their product. And, like, fans would should be willing to go see something like that because you're losing money, but you're doing it to win baseball games. And I think your point about the Orioles is spot on. The Orioles had a super good year last year. Young guys came on. They had a strong push to the end of the season. And how did the Orioles front office respond to help, you know to give their fan base something to hope for? Diddly poo. They didn't do anything in free agency this offseason to get this team to push themselves toward the postseason. That's a slap in the face of anybody. Number two. Listen to the elongated call of the end of the game between Gonzaga and UCLA. This is the TV call. Chances are you'll get more than one opportunity. I mean, he's on the S in March Madness. <laughs> that is a long shot. He took it from Reno, and he cashed in. It's only fitting that he hit the shot from the March Madness logo. That was so deep with plenty of time. Okay, so you hear Stan Van Gundy at the beginning. You hear Stan Van Gundy at the end. You hear Kevin Harlan get Reno in there. That was kind of cool. He shot it from Reno. So, overall, a good call. I saw – we weren't watching TV. We were at the game. But I saw someone who tweeted, man, people are hard. Uh, another epic UCLA-Gonzaga tourney game. Stan Van Gundy was god-awful. Terrible. Just terrible. Moment was too big for him. He thought he was on a talk radio show. Shame on Kevin Harlan for getting bullied and not shutting that nerd up. Because you saw the, the uh, Furman game, right, against Virginia. Yeah. Harlan, like, put his arm out, and he's like, hey, quiet. Quiet down. Um, and this time, he probably did need to tell the hedgehog, as we lovingly call him, on the Strother three, like, bro, you got to back off when he's bringing the ball up the floor and let Harlan, who's the guy on the broadcast, make the call. That's the underrated part about that Furman thing is Harlan telling everybody, be quiet, this is my moment, I got this, it's fine. It's really, it's really the audience's moment. You know what I mean? It's oh, for yeah, the for audience, sure. like you got to hear the play-by-play guy make the call and finish the call. Right, absolutely. I mean, and here's the thing: I, I guess you don't mind it if if Van Gundy adds something to, to the moment <laughs> instead of being like, "Well, it's pretty fitting. He hit it from the S because March Madness." Yeah. Get it? Yeah. The, the well, the other problem is the three-man booth in basketball is really tough. Yeah. And sometimes the third guy doesn't have to speak; just, just sit there, right? But it's not easy to. To get that feel is not easy, and, you know, for this viewer on Twitter to just crush, <laughs> just absolutely crush Stan Van Gundy is also a little unfair. I don't know how much instruction he's gotten. He clearly didn't get any instruction to kind of give Harlan a little more space after the last time when Harlan had to put his arm out. So, you know, people are on TV and radio for a long time for a lot of reasons. They know what they're doing, so how about someone coach them? Coach the coach. I mean, Gundy's kind of been in TV radio for a minute. He has been, yeah. He's been doing the NBA. He should be doing. He should be better at this. And he's got a brother who's done it for a while too. But they're they're former coaches, and 
kind of like the former athlete thing too, right? You think you're just stepping in and doing it. There's no art to it, but there is. Number one. So you fired up that Tom Brady is one of the owners of the Aces? Yeah, it means he's coming to Vegas, right? It means he's going to be a Raider? Well, it's, that ship sailed unless there's some kind of trade what? to clear the books of Jimmy G. Or, or, or he can play for like a million dollars and Jimmy G can be his backup. Yeah, they, I, I figured he was still coming. What happened? We spent months talking about it. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Uh, Kelsey Plum has a little bit of a tie with Brady, at least. It's a weird one, but last year when Brady showed up at the MUA, Mick Ultra Arena for a game, Plum was over the moon about it, and I think also barked at him at one moment. Why wouldn't you call it the MUA? I don't know. Because I, to me, MUA, because I'm very, very fluent in French from all the years of French I took in uh, middle school. No, I think it was mostly high school. MUA would be uh, M-O-I. No, but I mean like the MUA. Okay. <laughs> M-U-A. Really? MUA. Do we have to do that every time? Yeah. They're playing tonight over at the Mwah. Okay, well, if we can pull that, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that consistently. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. Uh, no, that was the point. Okay. Is Brady, Brady bought a piece of the team. Kelsey Plum is a massive fan of Tom Brady. I forgot she barked at him. She's, uh, she's quite the entertainer. Was it bark like as in just like, hey, Tom? No, no, no. Like, no, no, no. It could have been that one. Is that your best bark? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, like that's like the the I like doing the, low, the big dog. I like doing the small dog like that works that actually works really well in uh, crowded spaces airports so I think she did more of yours it was more of a woof woof still a freaking brawl in this game as uh what do we got a point total of 40 narrow game between San Diego State and Alabama Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Whoa, John, we got an explosion in the San Diego State-Alabama game. 28-23, 33.5 left to go. San Diego State up on top of Alabama in a high-scoring and fast-paced affair. What was the uh, note you saw earlier about back-to-back baskets? At about the seven- or eight-minute mark, Alabama hit consecutive field goals for the first time in the game. Like, this is, this is what San Diego State does. They will just drag you down to their level, and they will just hold on to you, and they will not let you do anything. And they might lose, but they'll lose by one or two points, and they will make you feel them the entire way. I think the question is, can they do this entire way? Will Alabama kind of figure it out at the half? Because right now they're playing half-court basketball, and that's not the way you beat San Diego State. you got to speed it up. Now, now, easier said than done around the Mountain West Conference. We watch all these games, and teams have an incredibly difficult time of speeding things up. But right now Alabama's struggling with it. I'll just tell you, in-game, Bama is now a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I figured the game would go like this early and that Alabama would have enough scoring to stretch it out. But we'll see. We'll see. San Diego State is tough. I think we have P.J. Carlissimo. On the phone, PJ is in town. He was calling the Sweet 16 yesterday over at T-Mobile. Coach, how are you? Excellent, gentlemen. How are you guys? Uh, we're good. We were, we were, we opened up the show about an hour and fifteen minutes ago. And we were still just going crazy about just the vibe for that game last night, the UCLA Gonzaga game, and you were actually sitting right in front of me, like I could have grabbed your jacket. Uh, I could, <laughs> I could see you were screaming. I, I couldn't hear anything you were saying. I mean, it was loud last night. Uh, count your blessings if you couldn't hear what I was saying. So you were you were better off just watching. 
So tell us what you saw down the stretch, and we want to get to the setup with the uh, the Strother play, but just the back-and-forth nature and, uh, you know, what Gonzaga did at the half because it, it looked, you know, the first half was terrible defensively. Well, it was, and they just they they had him back on their heels, and it was uh, it was kind of interesting because normally it would be the Zags that are running up and down, and not the UCLA's a walk it up team, but maybe not quite as much. But I mean, they couldn't stay with every time they tried to like run themselves, they were turning the ball over, and you know, Fury had told us in the interview the obvious thing was if they took care of the ball, they were going to be all right if they turned it over, and boy, did they turn it over, and uh, everything was going. Uh, UCLA's way. The only thing you had to be concerned with was uh, Mick just had trouble when he went to the bench. I mean, he, he was not getting. Uh, I thought Nuba did a really good job considering. You know, he was playing more minutes than he normally has to play, but um, they struggled with with uh, Mac when he was on the floor, and, and they struggled at the wing. Every time he went to the bench, it hurt them. And uh, I, I just thought yeah, there was a lot of time left, but uh, clearly they had to stop turning the ball over Gonzaga, and secondly, they had to start attacking the basket. Everything was on the perimeter. Either Timmy scored inside or their their guards, they weren't getting anything. They were just going around. They couldn't get by the UCLA defense, and I thought in the second half, they did a much better job, uh, particularly uh, Salas and uh, Malachi Smith really gave him a big lift, and Slaughter himself wasn't playing all that well. Uh, he wasn't making shots, and he couldn't get by his man either, but I thought the adjustments were good. The adjustments were just, you know, to do what they would normally do. And they stopped turning the ball over, which was enormous. And then I thought, frankly, UCLA was just exhausted. Uh, they, they couldn't go to their bench. Um, maybe everybody that played for uh, Gonzaga didn't play all that well, but at least they were out there and they weren't hurting them. When, when UCLA went to the bench, it hurt them. And it was like, I, I think, Mick got caught where he was just trying to stretch his guys out as much as he could. I had not seen uh, Jaime or Tiger really ever get tired. I mean, they played so many minutes for, you know, their whole time there, and they just they seemed to never run out of gas. But maybe the first half uh, was too much for them. And I, I was thinking that, you know, the NCAA 20-minute halftime, I said, boy, they lucky they got 20 minutes to yeah, yeah. catch their breath. But I, I, thought, I thought it was going to be a big order for Gonzaga to get back in it, but they played really well defensively in the second half. They just didn't. Refs were letting them play. They were banging, and they, they just shut UCLA's offense down, which I didn't think they could do it. They did it. They defended so well. They didn't turn the ball over, and they finally got some help from some wings because Malachi Smith came in and did such a good job. And Dallas did, too. He only got five points, but he had five boards. He really helped them. And, again, it was more he was just playing significantly better than the front-line guys, and Gonzaga's kind of been like that the whole year. You never know on a given night those four guards, which one or two of them are going to play well, uh, which makes it a little hard, I think, to coach, but it also makes it hard to defend them because you don't know you don't know who's willing to step up on a given night. That's the voice of P.J. Carlissimo, former NBA coach, former coach at Seton Hall. So diagnosed for the fans out there, I know it was you know pretty well explained that final shot by Strother, but what did you see on the play and uh, the stones on you know the parts of both the coach and the player to take that shot with 12 seconds left? Well, what was interesting, right, he, he made basically the same shot in the BYU game in the regular season when they won, when they won in the regular season. It was very similar. They, they, ironically, they called the play Villanova after Villanova doing the same thing to win the national championship. Um, and they, I thought uh, we had, there was a timeout, and uh, Ryan Radke, my partner, asked, you know, what do you think? And I said, I think UCLA is probably going to pick up 
just to you know make it a little tougher for them to get it up and if they want to go inside because it was only a, a one point game if I'm remembering correctly mm-hmm. and when they didn't pick up I thought well I, I understand why sometimes you pick up like you think you're being smart and you go pick them up right. and the guy blows by your first guy and now you're in trouble he's not somebody's got to help guy gets a wide open jump shot from the corner or something like that and I think Mitch just said we're just going to pick them up at half court uh, we're going to keep them in front of us but Strother was so high, and as he got going downhill with the ball, so was, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He was able to get in front of him and do the little toss back, and it was so deep where he was shooting the ball from that, that you know they weren't worried about going under. Saying, we don't have to go over the top on this. They're not going to shoot the ball from back there, and he didn't hesitate. And I think in retrospect, after talking to Dewey today and reading Strother's comments, he told him if the shot's there, like he's because Strother asked him in a timeout. The coach, what if I'm open? Because if it wasn't, he was going to drive the ball, try and create something in the lane. And he said, well, shoot it. What do you think you're going to do? You know, be trying to give him some confidence, and it's exactly what he did. But they said he did the same. Like, they were looking at me like, what do you mean? He did the same thing against BYU. So, they, you know, they weren't, they weren't surprised. And I thought he shot it with more confidence than most of the shot, because I kept saying during the game, when is Julian Strother going to step up? He hasn't had a typical game by his standards. Uh, you pick the right time to step up. So we got a great setup for Saturday's game, and you're on the call of the game with uh, Westwood One. First of all, what do you think UConn will throw at Drew Timmy? They've got a lot more bodies, and they've got a lot more reliable size. Yeah, they do. Their front line is, is uh, a lot. Well, I mean, again, the front line for UCLA, when you take, you take Jalen out of the mix and you take a Dembona, it's a, it's a lot different. You know, With those guys, it would have been really interesting to watch what was going on against Drew Timmy. Um, these guys have, have, have not just big, they've got enormous bodies to throw at them, so it'll be interesting to, to see. I think um, they're, they're always multiple anyhow with their defenses. They like to play a lot of different defenses, so I think they'll throw different looks at them. But, I mean, Drew Timmy is so unconventional, and he's so good at what he does that, that you wonder. Uh, you know, maybe Adamus Sinogo, he's an upper-class guy, uh, maybe he'll be able to hang in, but Drew's not an easy guy to play against the first time, and and, and Donovan Klingon, as impressed as I am with him, I mean, he's obviously one of the best freshman bigs in the country, uh, and I just hope he's going to be able to be disciplined enough because you saw what happened against sometimes against the UCLA backup guys that aren't used to playing the big minutes and aren't as disciplined defensively, and Timmy just starts with those head fakes and the spins and the hooks and uh, you know, he reaches around the guy, and he, uh, you're always wondering, did he walk? Did he not walk? Did he change his pivot foot? But he's so good at it that it's going to be uh, it's, it's going to be real interesting to watch. But I do think that the biggest difference is UConn is so deep, and they're particularly deep in the middle that they do have, I don't think they're going to want those guys to be in foul trouble, but they have a lot of fouls to use, and they can play them whatever way they want. I, I'm sure they'll come with some uh, double schemes. They'll double, I'm, I'm sure they will trap a lot more uh, than, than UCLA did. Uh, and the, the thing that... Uh, we, uh, ah! Ah! Kind of scared me. I think we lost him. I think we lost him. Hey, he's overcovering practice. Damn, I had a good question coming up, too. Yeah, you got excited. Something he said sparked you. Um, no, they're like... There are simple things sometimes going into an interview I forget, and then something sparks. Now I wanted to ask him about, listen, you know, Hurley, Danny Hurley's here, right, as a coach. And 
Carlissimo is very familiar with the Hurley family. Yeah. And one, like, I don't want to make, you know, Coach Carlissimo sound like he's old. Like, I feel old watching these guys because, like, very early in my media career, like, I was around covering the Hurleys, right? Um, but I wonder what it's like for a guy like PJ. But I wanted to, what I wanted to ask him is, um, and people out here may not know about their dad, but their dad's a legendary high school coach. But he was, like, a hardcore defensive coach and a taskmaster. And um, I always get it wrong whether it was, he was a parole officer or a probation officer. That, that was his job. But he was, a, like, a true high school educator. Yeah. He was a tough guy. And I just wonder, you know, what Dan Hurley is like as a coach compared to his dad. Because UConn's got a history, but he's brought this thing along pretty quickly. And there's a chance. Like, I, I always thought that UConn, and I'm going to add Kevin Ollie onto the end of Calhoun, that yeah. there was a chance that UConn was one of those one-coach programs and may never get back to that level where they can re- recruit the entire country and potentially win national championships. Maybe Dan Hurley is good enough. We're going to find out. I mean, this is one of you know one of the really first massive moments at a mega program. He's got a shot, and he may have a you know a long career for another twenty years where UConn is back. It, look, it's a short sample size of work, but it seems like it. And watching what they did against Arkansas, I thought they on both ends of the floor is a clinic for them. They were awesome, and especially offensively, some of the sets they ran for Arkansas, getting wide open looks. Razorbacks had nothing on that end of the floor for anything they wanted to run against them. Yeah, it's funny when watching them as players. Bobby Hurley was always the more, and he was a, he was a better player, but he was kind of always the more fired up, like outwardly emotional guy. And Dan was calmer, and they're kind of like that as coaches as well. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, we got two games going on right now here at Gold Circle Sportsbook and Bar, fifty-five plus TV sportsbook. You got the kiosk. If the windows are closed, but they're open, happy hour on a Friday for locals free parking in the garage here at Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Uh, we got, what, 28-23 yep. at the break in uh, the San Diego State-Alabama game. And Miami took a lead, but now what's happening against Houston? Uh, they're going back and forth right now. It seems like it's a one-point game. Houston's got the ball. Um, but Miami, yeah, Miami had a little bit of a larger lead, but right now – they are down 23-22, 8.38 left to go in the first. You know, we grabbed a lot of really good sound last night because the press conferences were kind of interesting, uh, what we got from the players and what we got from the two coaches as UCLA falls to Gonzaga late on the Julian Strother three. Um, it's been a weird year for Gonzaga, and I, I forget who on the show, it's probably Adam Hill, has talked a lot about – it could have been Willie, so I apologize if I have the wrong person. I know people get offended, but um, – you know, part of the story with Gonzaga this year is that they didn't get a one. And the angle was like, hey, maybe that's going to be a little easier. The pressure hasn't been on. But uh, it, was, it was interesting listening to Drew Chimmy. They're very aware of who they are and what people say about them. And he believes his team is, is pretty special in terms of, you know, bouncing back from times they're down after losses and even within a game. We just got hit in the mouth, and we just had to battle and fight. And, uh, you know, uh, in the first half, I just, just the ball happened to be bouncing friendly to me, so I felt like I was hot, so I just wanted to keep shooting. And then in the second half, everyone, like Malachi really stepped up, Julian stepped up, Tom was playing huge defense. Like, we just rallied. I think that's just kind of the story of this year. You know, the first 20, as much as we might not like it to be, is probably not our best 20. But we somehow, some way, we dig deep, and we find a way to just come together and rally and keep fighting. And I think that's the beauty of this team is – we may be down, but we're not out. 
He's a very mature guy. The group is very mature. I think Few is probably better coaching than he's ever been. And whatever he said to them, and he gave us some details, but what he said to them at the half really worked. Mick Cronin was kind of a weenie when he came in. He was all amped up. They made him wait a couple extra minutes, so he was giving short answers. But once he settled down, um, I think he realized it was important to talk about guys like Jaime Jaquez, Jaime Jaquez um, also uh, Tiger Campbell, and others, the, you know, the backbone of this program the last four or five years. Well, loyalty, which is rare in today's society, which is something that I have great respect for. You know, when I look at those guys, you know, I respect people that I think work. I don't respect anybody I think is a fraud that doesn't work hard. I just don't, and I don't care if you like me. I have great respect for those three because when you watch them play, you don't think, well, he should be better than that. Like when you watch Dave Singleton, you see he's limited athletically. You see, you know, that he gets everything he can out of his body. Tiger Campbell, unbelievable career. Has got, you can't get any more out of his body and his, his God-given things that he has that he can't change. He totally maxes it out. And so, you know, Jaime Jaquez, same thing. Came into us with a, was a human turnover the first two months. And I just played him because he was as crazy as me. We were losing. He was pissed. I said, I can build the program with this guy because he's got heart. Now look at him. But it proves, you know, if you work hard, you have a great attitude. You can, you can get really good. You can become a really, really good player. So that's why I respect those guys so much. Yeah, I like a lot of what Cronin says, you know, about the fraud and not working hard, but it's his delivery sometimes. Right. And I'm glad he embraces the fact that a lot of people don't like him and he doesn't care. So I'm glad he knows that. But it was important because I didn't think he was going to get to it. Like, can you act like an adult and dial it down and freaking breathe a little bit and stop giving short answers because these guys carried you. Like, right now, Mick Cronin has a good reputation at UCLA, right? They were very down in the dumps after Steve Alford. And Alford's bounced back. He's done a good job in Reno. But UCLA was feeling real bad about itself. And there's a culture there and a toughness. But it was like, give the guys their due going out. So he finally calmed down and... I like the loyalty stuff, although it's funny coming from him, right, with our experience with him because he used UNLV to get a raise right. and more facilities at Cincy, and then he bailed a couple years later, loyalty, to go to UCLA. This hour is brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lures. You know, where we was at, it was a place of fire, but we practiced in a place of fire all the time, so he was ready for it. This is a bad boy right here. This is a bad boy. A couple of people said before the alley to Keontae, you looked at the crowd and said, watch this. Can you can you confirm or deny that? Dang, I got to watch what I say. I mean, I'll be in the zone. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to Isaiah Thomas because uh, I think he had a friend um, over there. Um, and he was rooting for them. And I'm like, y'all not going to win today. And I just kept looking at him for some, you know, added motivation. But, you know, it was nothing but, but cool vibes with um, them over there. It's time for former Oakland Raider and NFL insider Stanford Routes on Cofield and Company. You know, it's funny. We were just talking about Mick Cronin and his delivery and sometimes how sour he is after he loses. And I know K-State's winning, but Jerome Tang's demeanor and attitude and kind of like chip on his shoulder thing is really cool. And I'll root for any little guy. I know, you know, they got all mad at Kansas State at Calipari, called him a little kid. Right. But for me, you know, anytime I see a Tiger Campbell or NOL out there, you know, 5'8", 5'9", 5'10", to play at this level at that height is incredible. And to, like, to excel. Right. That kid 
I mean, I, I would think if you look at the, the whole field, he's probably the easiest guy to root for. You know, like, it's just it's a great story. And the numbers he's putting up are nuts. Outside of Agueca Rope, yes. Well, we'll get into the Agueca Rope story. <laughs> there, there is no guy in the country who averages four points, three rebounds, and like half a block. That is loved more by the CBS announced crew. And, like, we appreciate him because we've watched him for, it seems like, 11 years at San Diego State. But it's, it's very funny. Stanford Route is with us, and we're kind of interrupting him right now. It's his Cougars because he works at the school. He went to the school. And his Cougars are playing right now. Houston is in a tough matchup against Miami. Stanford, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good, pretty good, fellas. Happy Friday to you. How much do you care in terms of your passion for the basketball program? I mean, a lot. <laughs> I mean, okay, I think good. that uh, – for, for, for so long, you know, obviously it's all about the power five. That's what everybody looks at in all sports. And for University of Houston right now, currently, to not be in a power five as of right now, we know later on this year, we know it's going to be happening. So for them to have been much of the year ranked number one, for them to have gone to the final four just two years ago, for the final four to be in Houston this year, presumably for them to be playing for the championship, hopefully in Houston, that's just so big for the program. And for everybody that always views it as, oh, you know, you got to be in a power five to win a national championship and you got to be in a power five. That's why I think it's so symbolically great for them and just goes to show that if you're not in a power conference, you still can be a national uh, uh, competitor. Yeah, and, and in basketball, you certainly can. you got to have backers. you got to have some money, right, to kind of buy your way into the mix. And that's not an insult. You have to have the funds. But Kelvin Sampson's also a, a great guy, a great coach, a great recruiter. And I'm sure at that school, he, you know, he's, he's a guy that everyone's proud of. Because um, what, whatever happened in the past, I still think it was a bunch of bull crap. Uh, it was nitpicky stuff that got Kelvin Sampson. He, he really is a quality guy and a great leader. Yeah, yeah, he definitely is, and he really has that basketball team firing off of all cylinders. And when you just look at how a couple years ago, being in the Final Four, this year coming into the season ranked very, 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 very high, being ranked number one for a good part of the season and having that number one ranking within their Midwest region, I think it just speaks to what he has been able to bring to University of Houston and the stability within the basketball program. So let's talk a little football, a little NFL. Stanford Rout is with us, a former Raider. We got the draft coming up April 27th to the 29th. So, you know, we're roughly four and a half, five weeks away. And, John, I want you to intro the story to the audience. Like, we're so hungry for draft stories. What happened this week with, like, a weird video and odd audio with Josh McCown and C.J. Stroud that got people all fired up? So uh, Stanford, and for our audience, too, more importantly, so C.J. Stroud has his pro day. And the the Panthers are out there, and it's their coaching staff. I think the number was like 11 scouts as well. And, by the way, they also went to the Alabama Pro Day. But there's video taken, and on the video, as they're dapping up C.J. Stroud before they leave, Josh McCown, their quarterback's coach, you can hear some muffled audio of him saying something along the lines of, when you come to Carolina, when you move to Carolina – We'll go play or we'll get a room. Essentially, I think they were talking about playing basketball, if I remember correctly. Stanford, so there's a couple of things. First off, everybody dissecting this Zapruder film and audio like it's something tangible is hilarious. And in the betting world, because of that piece of audio, he went up to a minus 400 favorite to go first overall in the NFL draft. I think this is 
It's wild how hungry we are for this sort of stuff. We're dissecting things that dudes are saying to each other before they leave. I mean, that's just what the media is all about. They have to take everything. They have to look at every piece of information, every piece of video, try to go ahead and read someone's lips and the mouth movements and things like that. So that just comes with the territory. Obviously, we're right now kind of like in that, in that bit of a lull within the NFL season as far as we just had free agency open up. The big wave, the big free agents are already off the board. Now it's kind of like a little bit of a lull. Everybody's going to pro days, things like that. We got the draft coming still a month away. So obviously, you got to find content. And if you're going to see Josh McCown saying something to CJ Stroud, then you know what? You got to take it and run with it. So here's my question. For, for over a year now, we have heard that from a, like a passer's standpoint, if Bryce Young was an inch and a half, two inches taller, he's the head and shoulders, like, best quarterback in this class. He's going to be the first overall pick. Why all of a sudden am I supposed to believe because it's Carolina and Josh McCown did a YouTube video once saying that he liked C.J. Stroud in the Georgia game, which I think all of us did, <laughs> right? Like, why am I supposed to believe that now all of a sudden, like, Stroud's their guy? Why isn't the best prospect of this draft, who everybody has said is Bryce Young, why is it not, why is it not Bryce Young for Carolina? Well, I think you just hit it right on the head because Bryce Young did not magically grow uh, two inches and become over six feet tall. And for a lot of teams, for certain people who within this business, certain aficionados, they may tend to lean more in the prototypical category for certain positions, for certain players, things like that. And I think that when you look at C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, obviously both of them phenomenal quarterbacks at the collegiate level, it may be more of a coin flip. It may be more of a coin toss in deciding who you're going to take with the number one overall pick because if you look right down the middle at both of their careers, obviously playing at Powers, Ohio State, Alabama, you're not necessarily going to go wrong choosing either one. <laughs> you know, you're not necessarily going to lose your franchise by choosing one over the other. And I think that maybe that's where Carolina is now at. And because they look at them as both being even, okay, well, you know what? Let's go with the one that we feel is more of the prototypical type. Let's go with the one that we feel is going to be able to enter into the league and has more of the look of an NFL quarterback, not to say Bryce Young is a scrub by any means, but that may be the mindset, that may be the methodology that they're going through within their facility, within those four walls out there in Carolina. So the actual tangible bit of news that we get from Carolina is that they went and they got DJ Chark, and it's the second wide receiver that they have uh, assigned this offseason. They go and get Adam Thielen as well. So regardless of who the guy is, Am I wrong in thinking that the Panthers have kind of hit this offseason out of the park? Like, they have the first overall pick. They're going to get their guy because they have the first selection. They have done everything possible to at least give him a soft landing because, while you might not think Adam Thielen and DJ Chark are the best wide receivers in the National Football League, these are guys who have played a lot of snaps and are going to be good wide receivers and I think a friendly offensive system. Their staff is great. Their defense, I think, has a really high level. Am I wrong in thinking, like, the Panthers have a really high ceiling next year? Yeah, you're wrong for the stand. Uh, they hit it right out of the park. Just and 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 not because they're sitting over here just sitting on their hands and they're making no moves at all. I'm not saying that, but to say they're hitting it out of the park, I think that's a little bit hyperbole. I do believe that they're making some good moves, but I have not seen moves that they have made yet that's going to head and shoulders, hands down, ensure that the presumable number one overall pick 
within a C.J. Stroud is going to automatically be able to flourish as a rookie based on the roster moves that they've made thus far. Stanford Rout with us, former NFLer. I, okay, here's my thing. I'll bet you. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> I'll bet you the Panthers win the division next year. What? Uh, way, what are the odds see. on this? Well, they are we the second the choice Falcons to win the division. Who are, led, who are led by Desmond Ritter. We have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that are going to be led by Baker Mayfield. And then you have the New Orleans Saints who have a better defense. And who is their quarterback again, guys? Derek Carr. Best quarterback in the mm. division, right? So you think the Carolina Panthers, <laughs> who oh, wow. are going to take oh, C.J. Wow. Stroud or Bryce Young, you're going to have D.J. Chark and Adam Thielen. You think they're going to win the division right now automatically over Michael Thomas. At some point, they're going to be having Alvin Kamara, Derek Carr, Cameron Jordan, and Marshawn Lattimore and the rest of that defense. You think the Panthers are going to beat the Saints and win the division? You ready for this one? I think one of the reasons he's pointing to is not the quarterback drafted, but who is it, John? What do you mean? Who's playing quarterback? For who? For the Panthers. I don't understand. What you, I'm you, sorry. I'm missing you. Is point. the number one pick going to play right out of the gates? Oh, yeah, he is. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were high on someone else. Oh, Andy Dalton? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, either way, it's a great situation. It's All the best right. quarterback situation in the division. I'll add to the bet. They're going to win 10 games. Oh, my God. Let's go, listen, Stanford. Put your money where your it, mouth it, is. Let's go. Hey, listen. I, I, I'm telling you right now, maybe, just maybe, they might win 10 games. I don't know. But as far as them winning the, the division, I feel very confident in saying the Carolina Panthers are not winning the NFC South in 2023. I feel very confident in saying that. Stanford routes with us. We got like 90 seconds left. Have you seen the stuff developing with Lamar Jackson that he may have someone speaking on his behalf, but the person is not a licensed agent, and the NFL has now told all 32 teams to not speak with that person? Lamar is now barking at the NFL. <laughs> yeah. This whole thing feels weird to me. Like when I see that a letter was sent out to all 32 teams, I'm not saying there's collusion, and I kind of understand the whole not licensed agent thing, but this Jackson thing has been weird from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, it's just a mess right now. And I think that with it being so tumultuous going on right now with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, almost kind of like at a standoff where they give him the non-exclusive, where he's able to go ahead and talk to other teams, see exactly what his market value is out there, even though that they're going to have to give up two first-round picks if they want to sign him. It just has gotten to the point where it's now it's a standoff. And it's now gonna, it's now uh, a high-stakes game of chicken. Who's going to blink first, Lamar Jackson, or is it going to be Steve Bichotta and the rest of everybody with the Baltimore owner of the Baltimore Ravens organization? And I don't know how this is going to play out, but it definitely is getting to the point to where now this is spilling out into the into the into the real world, spilling out into the media and for the fans way much more than it should. All right, we're going to let you get back to your game right now. Your Cougars trail by four, three and a half left in the first, not to be a spoiler. Uh, we want to tell everyone, <laughs> make sure you check out Believe in Raiders podcast. Uh, the guys have done a bunch, a bunch of fresh ones, uh, Stanford and Dennis Ackerman. Last one was uh, just a couple days ago, uh, assessing Raiders free agent moves. So there's been a lot of moves. And we'll get into that with you next week. But go enjoy the basketball and have a good weekend. All right, man, you guys be good. Y'all be safe. Stanford route hmm. with Cofield. And company. I didn't want to get into the uh, the same discussion we've had in the past, which kind of concerns what UNLV used to be in basketball as an outlier, as a non-power five, and what Gonzaga and Houston are now. Right. So 
there's hope. And same thing, you know, same thing for Nevada. Uh, you have enough money backing and you get the players and you got an elite coach, you have a chance. There's hope. Uh, San Diego State. Little mini run by Alabama. It's 36-34. Bama is on top. Want to remind you, next week we're going to be all over the country. Raider Nation Radio 920, great station, is going to be at the owners' meetings in Phoenix. Two shows emanating. The morning show with Vinny, the afternoon show with Q Myers, talking to all the important people with the Raiders live next week, Monday to Wednesday in Phoenix.